28 Chinese military planes flew by Taiwan this past weekend. Should we be afraid? We'll be talking to a war expert in today's show. I'm Natalie Sell. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's start with a look at the stories on our radar. A record number of Chinese warplanes crossed into Taiwan's air defense identification zone over the weekend, 13 on Saturday and 15 on Sunday, followed by more smaller incursions this week. An outbreak of COVID-19 centered on a hospital in northern Taiwan appears to have been contained, with a total of 15 people infected. More than 3,000 people linked to the hospital or to infected patients are now in quarantine. Hospitals across northern Taiwan are no longer allowing most visitors as a precaution. Taiwan has re-established contact with one of two domestically built satellites that went silent shortly after SpaceX launched them into orbit earlier in the week. The National Space Organization received a signal from the Flying Squirrel satellite on Wednesday, although the satellite's condition remains unclear. The status of the other satellite, named Yushan, is still unknown. Google just opened its biggest overseas hardware research and development center in Banqiao, New Taipei. The 16-floor center will play a key role in developing the Pixel mobile phone, Google Nest, Chromebook notebooks, and wearable devices, among other important hardware. Researchers at the National Applied Research Laboratories have developed a 3D rendering technique that can save artists months of time. The technique uses what are called point clouds to map out objects, and then uses artificial intelligence to correct errors. This technique is being patented, and the team envisions it facilitating digital animation, architecture, and the restoration of historic buildings. So at the top of the show, we talked about how there are 28 Chinese military planes that flew nearby Taiwan just this past weekend. Do you think we should be afraid? A little bit. I mean, that's a lot of military, you know, incursions right near Taiwan, but we're kind of getting used to it. It's been happening for the past few months. Yeah. My friends and family ask me all the time, like, are you afraid? Are you afraid of the, you know, the hospital cluster infection? Are you afraid of the Chinese military planes? And I always say, of course, because I'm afraid of everything, but I think the authorities have it under control. Well, is China getting ready for real warfare, or is it just psychological warfare? I spoke with Carrie Gershanik, a Taiwan fellow at National Zunzi University, the author of Political Warfare, Strategies for Combating China's Plan to Win Without Fighting. I asked him what China was trying to achieve through those warplanes this weekend. The PRC has always tested every new American president. And it was totally expected that uh, right away Xi Jinping would test both the resolve and the skill of the Biden administration. So sending those three large flights of uh, both PLA Air Force and PLA Navy aircraft uh, was designed to see what the response would be mm. from the Biden administration. So the other audience, the second one, is you. It's the people of Taiwan. It's the government of Taiwan. The, the purpose of PRC political warfare as it pertains to Taiwan is to demoralize and divide you, to make you quit, to make you just walk like sheep uh, into the, the cold embrace of the Chinese Communist Party and become a province of the People's Republic of China. You are going to be worn down. They want to demoralize you. They want you to think you cannot win. You cannot maintain your sovereignty. You cannot retain your freedom. And they do this in a number of ways, one of which is military intimidation, one of which is those three very large flights that they send 
uh, uh, for both combat training and, and for psychological warfare purposes against you. The third audience, it's internal. People's Republic of China. It's the mm-hmm. subjects. I won't call them citizens. You're, you're, you're a citizen in your country. I'm a citizen in mine. We're in democracies. The 1.3 billion people in the People's Republic of China, they're subjects, just like under any other monarchy. So the audience is also, for political warfare purposes, internal. It is to not just intimidate you, but it's to help enhance the stature of Xi Jinping to the people of China and to win him uh, continued support by the military, which has been pushing for the invasion of Taiwan. So do you think that we should be afraid, though? Because, you know, there's some reports that are saying, is this a rehearsal for war? Forbes magazine has an article that said that. You have to ask yourself, why are they doing that before I can answer your question? Why are they doing that? Because they saw in the last... presidential and national elections in Taiwan, you aren't going to be like sheep. You're not going to just quit and and allow the PRC to take over Taiwan. You want to defend your sovereignty, your freedom, uh, the rule of law. And so they they found that their political warfare, in which they've they've invested billions and billions of dollars, massive uh, amount of resources, people, effort to get you to quit, you didn't. So now it's the military option that they're playing up. Uh, Would they do it? Communists are opportunistic. Uh, The Chinese Communist Party is always opportunistic. If the opportunity was there, they very well would do it. But this answers your question. Should you be scared? You should be prudent. And you should begin taking even greater steps than you're taking now, and I applaud the steps that are being taken now by the Tsai administration and the people of Taiwan, but take even greater steps to do two things. One, strengthen yourself internally to fight the political warfare that is being waged against you. It's an existential battle, understand that. That's how they plan to win, to win without fighting. Go back to the title of my book. They want to win without going to kinetic warfare. It's a struggle for them, It's a massive effort for them, but they want to win without having to send in the shells, sending the missiles, send in the bombers that they were, you know, on the mission last week, anti-submarine aircraft. They want to do it without having to destroy all your technological capacity, all your brain power, the, the, the human capital, as well as the technology on Taiwan. They want you to quit. So strengthen yourself against that attack. Strengthen yourself militarily. Go even further with technology, equipment, realistic combat training, and then developing a civilian capacity to help resist and make sure Xi Jinping and the Politburo know it's going to be hell to pay. You will not win if you attack Taiwan. You will not successfully invade us. Now, the whole interview is actually fascinating. He had some very interesting things to say, and we'll have the full interview up for you on YouTube and Facebook. And Kerry is also making his book available for free, so we'll have the link in the show notes below. People in Taiwan are worried about China attacking. But here's the thing, those fears may be unfounded, because on January 25th, Chinese leader Xi Jinping said this. The strong should not bully the weak. Decisions should not be made by simply showing off strong muscles or waving a big fist. 
Xi's remarks came during an online address at a World Economic Forum conference in Davos, Switzerland. Taiwan's representative to the United States, Xiaobi Kim, retweeted the clip of Xi Jinping saying, I will quote him on that. But I think the general reaction to Xi's remarks in Taiwan can be summed up by this picture of a bird with a very dubious expression on its face captioned, What? Well, Taiwan's defense ministry tweeted that on January 24th, 15 Chinese aircraft entered Taiwanese airspace, the highest number this year. You might be thinking, now that happened before Xi Jinping made his remarks. You can let him off the hook, right Leslie? That might be true if it weren't for the fact that the defense ministry also tweeted about an incursion on the 25th and another one on the 26th. In fact, as of January 27th, the defense ministry documented 22 days of incursions in January alone. So China has been flexing its muscles by sending military jets over the Taiwan Strait to bully Taiwan. Kinda contradicts what Xi Jinping said. Harry Bosch asked, Is this real? Seems like a deep fake. I think it says a lot when someone is willing to believe that the video of Xi Jinping was fake rather than a genuine speech. Jessica on Twitter responded with, That's what CCP is. They like to emphasize the virtue they don't have. Ray 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 Taiwan took a more cynical approach, saying, I think it was his first attempt at comedy. Now, there are a lot of comments on Twitter calling Xi's statement ironic, but as a reminder to Xi Jinping, Sacha Prem Ganesh said it best, not words, but acts matter. Today's brain game is a game we are calling Who's That Bear? And I'm going to be asking you some questions about the Tourism Bureau's lovable mascot, O-Bear. Now, you guys know oh, who bear. this is, yeah? Yes. There's a bunch of them, right? He's one of them. He's yeah. one of them, the yeah. The Formosan Black Bear. <laughs> That's right. And now, Formosan Black Bears, I want to tell you a little bit about them before we start. They are endangered. They're the largest land animal in Taiwan, and they're the only native bear. And in fact, just this past week, we saw them in the news. Park rangers spotted a handful of them in the Jade Mountain Range, including this mama and her babies. And usually they're found farther north in Taiwan. And they've been causing a lot of mischief too, tipping trash cans and damaging living quarters. Now, today I'm going to be asking you some multiple questions about O-Bear. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> about O-Bear or the, or the Formosan Bear? About O-Bear. Okay, sure. All right. Okay. okay try. Let's start off with our first question. Why is he called O-Bear? Why is, is it one, he's always surprised? Oh. oh, is it two, O is Taiwanese for black? Or is it three, O-H stands for outrageous and hairy? I think it's because anytime people see them, they go, oh, a bear. <laughs> I think it's number one, he's always surprised. Uh, O-Bear? Okay, well, interestingly enough, it's actually Taiwanese for so black. No. It's for black. Yeah. Okay, that That's makes sense. That's how good our Taiwanese is. He's, uh... <laughs> A, and you know Taiwanese. No, I don't. <laughs> Every time I do see one, I do go, oh, a bear. So that, that, was, that was a personal question. Like, oh, so maybe the, more than one is correct. All right, next question. How tall is O-Bear? Is he very, very tall? Is he taller than the average bear? Or is he as tall as seven cups of boba tea? Okay, one, so there's two, three, like... Four, five, six, seven. Taller than the average bear. 
Okay. <laughs> I think I think there was only one uh, one like objective reference for height in that one, and I have to say that's three as tall as seven cups of boba tea. Well, Leslie, you are right. Really? <laughs> okay. Now, now, now that now that picture is misleading because the seven cups of boba tea are in the shape of Taipei One Hundred One. So, is he as tall as Taipei One Hundred One? Is that what you're trying to tell me? At the bottom of the screen, it says that uh, he is 180 centimeters in height. He's your height. I'm 180 He's centimeters. Height. Am I you're not seven cups of boba tea. <laughs> Am I seven <laughs> cups of boba tea tall? Those those cups of only boba tea in are this not, image. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that bear like. So we shouldn't take this too seriously. He, no. That's what you're telling us. I'm telling you okay. to take this seriously. He's freaking the whole bar. He needs to take diabetes seriously. What happens? Seriously. He also says seven cups of boba are nowhere near enough for me. Yeah, so you watch out for you the diabetes on there. That's what I'm talking about, man. Type 2 is no joke. All right. Well, let's move on to the next question. Which describes Obear? Which trait? <laughs> he has charming eyes. <laughs> he has an X-shaped belly button. And he has a heart-shaped bottom. I think he has a heart-shaped bottom. Yeah, he's his. <laughs> I, saw he? the I think I remember of the that. Eyes. They looked a little vacant to me. Just a little bit vacant. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't remember his egg belly button. I think I remembered it for egg That's shape. Too small. I would say three heart-shaped bottom. You both say three. Well, yep. actually, all three of them are correct. Really? Oh, I'm sorry what I said about your eyes, buddy. Oh, so, there's the belly button. Let's start off with charming eyes is number one. He's got an X-shaped belly button, which oh, is wow. attractive, it says. <laughs> <laughs> he also has uh, an eye-catching letter T representing the Taiwan uh, Tourism Bureau. He oh. has a good-looking <laughs> yet playful X for the belly button. He has an orange cape, which is favorite color, and the, my favorite one. <laughs> heart-shaped bottom. It says a heart-shaped bottom, representing my overflowing love for Taiwan. <laughs> I don't get that. Now that's making me think I need something similar. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that for you, Leslie. <laughs> All right, final question. What's his cousin's name? He's is got it, a cousin? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it High Bear? Uh. Is it Low Bear? <laughs> Or is it no bear? This is a little tough. I go for high bear. High bear. High bear. Yeah, I, would say, I would say that's, that's, that's like friendly. high. You're not like, oh, you don't want oh, a low bear. It's like, oh, oh, I'm oh, so high. sad. And then no bear is just the negative, right? There's no bear at all. So I would say number one. You guys are right. Yay! We got this it right. is O-Bear's cousin, High Bear. Wow, Hi he's Bear. in business for all for himself. Oh, look at those. Yeah, she's 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 a busy, busy uh, She's bear. white. Yes. What's going on she's with the ear? Like it looks the like a crown. She's got like the opposite color scheme. Yeah. I don't know. She's got a lot going on. Yeah, she's, she's got a lot going fashion on. Fashion bear. The, uh, fashion diva. She's the diva of the uh, <laughs> family, I can tell. So there you have it. That's a look at O-Bear and his cousin, High Bear. Now, of course, because of the pandemic, there haven't been a lot of tourists coming to Taiwan. But don't worry, they're actually sending 35,000 of these O-Bears overseas to share the word about Taiwan. Have a look. The Overseas Community Affairs Council announced on Thursday that it will send 35,000 limited edition care packages to Taiwanese nationals living overseas. The packages are printed with a logo bearing the phrase, Taiwan can help. Inside the packages are items made in Taiwan, including Taiwan-shaped handmade soaps and masks featuring the Taiwan Tourism Bureau's mascot, a cartoon Famosan black bear. The council says it helps recipients wear the mask in order to promote Taiwan and hopefully one day allow it to return to the World Health Assembly, the WHO's decision-making body.
Meanwhile, the World Taiwanese Chambers of Commerce calls for the WHO not to exclude Taiwan because of political factors. The Chambers of Commerce say that as long as Taiwan remains unable to share its epidemic prevention measures, the WHO will remain incomplete. We're going to do something new this week to end the show. We're going to do a shout out to something or someone for which we're very grateful this week in Taiwan. Imagine being a Taiwanese Air Force pilot. You're constantly on call defending Taiwan from an attack. It's hard to imagine having time to think about anything or anyone else. This fighter pilot posted a message in his cockpit. It's words of encouragement for the frontline medical workers who are also doing their part to protect Taiwan. Now, even though he broke protocol to do that, it's his spirit of teamwork and that idea that we're all in this together that gets our shout out of the week. And finally today, our question of the week. If you had your own mascot, what kind of animal would it be? Leslie. Um, well, I'm not going to be raising an eyebrows, but I said a Formosan black bear. <laughs> Allow me to explain myself, because a Formosan black bear, everybody loves the Formosan black bear. There's at least three of them in Taiwan, right? And I thought about, like, you could do the munch, the munchak, the sika, the pangolin. I thought about clattered leopards. But I was reminded about an experience I had at the Taiwan Zoo where I just locked eyes with this Formosan black bear and I had a moment. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I was probably one of these in my past life because I think he recognized me. Wow, <laughs> maybe it's the V-neck you're wearing. It could it's be. The connection. Yeah. There's could a be. connection, yeah. huh? Yeah. So there you go. Wonderful. Well, I love to swim, so I would love to have a oh. dolphin to oh. swim with, to ride on, whether in the ocean, in the pool. I think that'd be so cool. Excellent answer. And for me, uh, I chose capybara. I don't know if you've seen the videos of these capybaras in Japan swimming in the hot springs with uh, yuzu. No. Oh, it's... That's pretty cool. Sounds pretty cool. It's like mixing some of my favorite things together. I was this close to choosing capybara. (laughs) I was like this close. If I was just like, I would need to go away from the Taiwan angle. And I was watching capybara videos on YouTube also. (laughs) (laughs) Right before this. I'm not even kidding. Uh, We could go to the hot springs together. That'd be okay. All right. So thank you so much for joining us for this week's Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes. Leave a comment and uh, like us and subscribe. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West, 
every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International. Radio for refined palates. From the London Underground to the Taipei Metro, the people of our world are going places. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. China is striving to dominate the world. At least that's what Kerry Garshinak says. And he is the author of Political Warfare, Strategies for Combating China's Plan to Win Without Fighting. He just finished a Taiwan Fellowship at National Sun University. And Carrie, it's great to be able to speak with you. And I want to ask you about what just happened in Taiwan this past weekend. China sent 23 military planes near Taiwan. What message is China giving Taiwan at this time with those planes? First, Natalie, thank you for having me on RTI. And second, there's a number of messages here. Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party are sending political warfare messages to at least three audiences. And they're also doing uh, what any prudent commander would do, and that's make sure that their, their forces, the People's Liberation Army, is, uh, is preparing to conduct combat operations successfully if she sends them in to attack Taiwan. So first, let's break down the three audiences. The first audience is the new Biden administration. Uh, Joe Biden and his uh, team are getting in place now, the national security team. Uh, the PRC has always tested every new American president. And it was totally expected that uh, right away Xi Jinping would test both the resolve and the skill of the Biden administration. So sending those three large flights of uh, both PLA Air Force and PLA Navy aircraft uh, was designed to see what the response would be mm. from the Biden administration. So the other audience, the second one, is you. It's the people of Taiwan. It's the government of Taiwan. The, the purpose of PRC political warfare as it pertains to Taiwan is to demoralize and divide you, to make you quit, to make you just walk like sheep. Uh, into the, the cold embrace of the Chinese Communist Party and become a province of the People's Republic of China, you are going to be worn down. They want to demoralize you. They want you to think you cannot win. You cannot maintain your sovereignty. You cannot retain your freedom. And they do this in a number of ways, one of which is military intimidation, one of which is those three very large flights that they send uh, uh, for both combat training and, and for psychological warfare purposes against you. The third audience, it's internal. People's Republic of China. It's the mm -hmm. subjects. I won't call them citizens. You're, you're, you're a citizen in your country. I'm a citizen in mine. We're in democracies. The 1.3 billion people in the People's Republic of China, they're subjects, just like under any other monarchy. So the audience is also, for political warfare purposes, internal it is to not just intimidate you, but it's to help enhance the stature of Xi Jinping to the people of China 
and to win him uh, continued support by the military, which has been pushing for the invasion of Taiwan. So again, the audience for the, the hyper-nationalization of the people of China that the Chinese Communist Party has been working on since 1949, um, now it's, in, it's on steroids. And so those flights were applauded um, and they are designed to enhance the morale of the, the, the Chinese subjects while demoralizing you, the, the people of the democratic uh, Taiwan Republic of China. So do you think that we should be afraid, though? Because, you know, there's some reports that are saying, is this a rehearsal for war? Such, you know, Forbes magazine has an article that said that. And they've been doing this since um, August, ever since the U.S. sent top officials here. Do you think we should be nervous about the possibility of war? Or um, how do you think Taiwan is handling this? Well, number one, this isn't new. I mean, a year ago, they sent in more. In September of 2020, not a year ago, but last year, they sent in larger flights. Okay, so we haven't seen this this magnitude of the size of the PLA Air Force and Navy um, aircraft since September of last year. There were two flights during that time. Yes, they are. The Xi Jinping and the, the, the CCP are expanding the military intimidation. You have to ask yourself, why are they doing that before I can answer your question? Why are they doing that? Because they saw in the last presidential and national elections in Taiwan, you aren't going to be like sheep. You're not going to just quit and and allow the PRC to take over Taiwan. You want to defend your sovereignty, your freedom, uh, the rule of law. And so they, they found that their political warfare, which in which they've, in, they've invested billions and billions of dollars, massive uh, amount of resources, people, effort to get you to quit, you didn't. So now it's the military option that they're playing up. Uh, would they do it? Communists are opportunistic. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is always opportunistic. If the opportunity was there, they very well would do it. But... This answers your question. Should you be scared? You should be prudent. And you should begin taking even greater steps than you're taking now. And I applaud the steps that are being taken now by the Tsai administration and the people of Taiwan. But take even greater steps to do two things. One, strengthen yourself internally to fight the political warfare that is being waged against you. It's an existential battle. Understand that. That's how they plan to win, to win without fighting. Go back to the title of my book. They want to win without going to kinetic warfare. It's a struggle for them. It's a massive effort for them, but they want to win without having to send in the shells, sending the missiles, send in the bombers that they were, you know, in the, on the mission last week, anti-submarine aircraft. They want to do it without having to destroy all your technological capacity, all your brain power, the, the, the human capital, as well as the technology on Taiwan. They want you to quit. So strengthen yourself against that attack. Strengthen yourself militarily. Let the the Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party, and the PLA know they're not going to win. It's it's going to be a massive loss for them if they try to invade. You need to improve, continue to improve the weaponry and especially combat training of your military forces. And you need to take a deeper look and what it takes to mobilize the civilian force like the Baltic nations have done, like Switzerland has done, so that 
everybody, everyone with a stake every in Taiwan in the freedom and democracy and the future of Taiwan, you're looking at how do we defend the homeland? It's not just the military's job. We're all citizens of democratic Taiwan. How do we all work together to protect our country? But again, there's some good role models worldwide. Well, how do you think Taiwan is doing in terms of understanding, you know, what you call political warfare, which is not just military, you know, warfare, and protecting itself against it? Oh, Natalie, it's not Kerry Gershanik calling it political warfare. I'm using the PRC's terminology. Political warfare is their terminology. Americans have used it. Taiwan used it. Every country uses political warfare to an extent, but it's the nature of the regime that we need to worry about. This is a, an expansionist, militarily powerful, repressive, brutally repressive, totalitarian fascist nation. It's on the march. And it's using political warfare in ways that no other nation has ever dreamed of doing. It has the capacity to do it, and it has the will to do it. And so when you ask, what is it that um, you can do to, to, to prepare and fight for this? You don't have a strategy. America doesn't have a strategy. Why? Because we won the Cold War. We won the Cold War. We, def uh, we had the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the Soviet Union collapse, and we got complacent. We shut down our counter political warfare capability, our ability to wage political warfare. You did too, for a number of reasons which are unique to the history of Taiwan and, and the white terror, but you also shut down that capacity. So you don't have strategic planners who can come up at this point with a good strategy. And we've, I've talked at length with your national security councils and uh, my national security council about this very issue. Both countries need to work on strategy and then we both need to work on rebuilding those institutions in America, like the U.S. Information Agency. We have some institutions that exist, but they're just now getting their feet on the ground and basically become effective just in the past two to three years. But we have a long way to go. So do you think that the U.S. and other nations are becoming more aware of China's, um, you know, aim for domination, global supremacy? I think many, many nations, thanks to Xi Jinping, are aware that, uh, that the People's Republic of China wants to again become the Middle Kingdom and wants to become the center of um, the universe, basically, the Celestial Empire. I think they have seen, since Xi took over with his amassing of all the powerful positions, um, that even those who hoped it was that the PRC was merely, and I put that in quotes, smiling, merely an authoritarian regime, they now are beginning to realize, no, it's totalitarian. Go to Merriam-Webster, look it up. Every aspect of the Merriam-Webster dictionary pertaining to both totalitarian and fascist, oh, by the way, this is, uh, the, uh, the PRC needs. So the countries of the world, from Europe, the European Union, uh, South America, I've got the uh, friends and contacts down there, certainly the United States on, on a bipartisan basis has waken up to it. And you who live under the threat in the shadow of the political warfare and military intimidation on Taiwan, you certainly have, have awakened uh, in the past six to eight years to something that, frankly, just like Americans, a lot of Taiwanese wanted to ignore the threat. Um, well, you know, I read through your book and I found a very 
interesting and a bit scary, you know, to hear all the different tactics that China is using. They're, you know, permeating universities, uh, the internet, you know, social media. Can you tell the average citizen in Taiwan or, you know, around the world, what kind of tactics that China is using to influence people's thinking and uh, to try to dominate um, the world in, in different ways? Natalie, political warfare encompasses just about everything short of mid-intensity conflict. That is, armies going to war on a battlefield on a major scale, okay? So that includes proxy armies. The, the PRC has a proxy army in Myanmar, for example, called the United Was State Army, WSA. It occupies a country on the border uh, inside of Myanmar. Uh, it occupies a territory the size of Belgium. The uniforms, the helicopters, the tanks, the anti-air missiles, all the, all the equipment that it has, where do they come from? Came from PLA. Um, so proxy armies and, uh, and wars of revolution that, that many people thought had stopped in the late 1960s, 1970s. Uh, no, those, those wars, those proxy wars go on funded by and then supported by the, the, the People's Republic of China. Assassination, disappearances. If you're a, a bookseller from Hong Kong and you think you're safe in Thailand, you're not. You will get disappeared. You will be, uh, you'll be kidnapped. Uh, that's all political warfare. Um, violence, you've had gangs uh, in Thailand, uh, Taiwan, uh, just like other countries, gangs that are bought and paid for by United Front organizations that are uh, working close, uh, closely with the United Front Work Department uh, run by the Politburo. So those criminal gangs are locals. They're your citizens, but they're roughing up your people. They're committing acts of vandalism. They are, in some countries, it's murder, um, intimidation. Um, these are some of the tactics of political warfare. Media warfare, which is big in Taiwan, and that uh, you have stood up to, to your great credit. Uh, but not just the PRC's official organs like Xinhua and People's Daily coming in and attacking you. No, they, they take over your media, just like in America. They either co-opt the news media or they buy it outright. But basically, that news media, American the Taiwan media is spouting the Chinese Communist Party line. So these are all strategies within the overall warfare of political warfare. And the People's Republic of China calls it political warfare. So we should. Terminology is absolutely essential here. If you don't know what's happening to you, if you can't recognize it, if you cannot define it, there's no way you can fight it. You're going to lose. That is Carrie Grishanik, the author of Political Warfare, Strategies for Combating China's Plan to Win Without Fighting. We'll continue our conversation next week. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Taipei, 1921.
Welcome to 1921. It's a time of self-determination, Bolshevism, and jazz. Einstein is going to win a Nobel Prize this year. In India, Gandhi is in the middle of a non-cooperation movement. In China, a communist party forms. And in Taipei, there's a doctor called Jiang Weishui. Taiwan has been under Japanese colonial rule for 26 years. The violent uprisings of the early years are mostly behind us. They've been replaced by a new kind of peaceful resistance that uses culture and political organization as its tools. Jiang Weishui is a central figure in this nonviolent movement, and in 1921, he helps found the Taiwan Cultural Association. It might not sound like much, but it's the starting point for a dramatic decade filled with arrests and struggles for Taiwan. Today, we're looking back at Jiang and the movements he helped lead. Our guide to the Taiwan of the 1920s is doctor, author, and cultural critic Lin Hengzhe, who's written extensively about the period. Jiang had long been a man of political passions. In medical school, he'd hatched some outlandish assassination plots with classmates. But by 1921, Jiang had turned his attentions to Taiwanese home rule and Taiwanese self-improvement. He never stopped being a doctor. You can see it in one of his best-known works, Bedside Examination. It isn't a great work of literature. It's a patient file, and Taiwan is the patient. His diagnosis? A deficiency of knowledge. Taiwanese people need access to education and culture, and Jiang has also devised a prescription, the Taiwan Cultural Association. Jiang and his associates are on a mission to bring about a Taiwanese enlightenment. Dr. Lin tells us more. He thinks uh, the Taiwanese people become second-class citizens because uh, our Taiwanese culture still cannot compare with Japanese culture. So he wants to promote uh, culture. He wants to learn from Western cultural renaissance. He wants to elevate the Taiwan culture labor. By 1923, things are starting to look good. The association has set up branches all over Taiwan, and their projects include public libraries of newspapers and magazines. In time, titles will come to include Taiwan Minpol, the first Taiwanese-run newspaper. But books and newspapers weren't his only tools. Jiang also made sure that Taiwan's intellectuals spoke directly to Taiwan's people. He also give the people lecture. Lecture is very popular. One year, sometimes had more than three, uh, 300 lectures. People is uh, very enthusiastic. More than 100,000 audience within one year. Oh, he lecture about Taiwan history, some of Taiwan culture, and uh, some political reform idea. I think uh, most of people, they understand, yeah. But uh, like a first uh, PhD from USA, he is a uh, Dimausen, 1929. He got a PhD from Columbia University. When he come to Taiwan, yeah, he lectured uh, some of the Western culture, Western civilization, you know. Another one, Chen Xing, he also got the first MBA from Columbia University. He talked about cultural reform and economical development. Topics that Jiang himself spoke about included public sanitation. Up to 100,000 people a year. It was a different world. For all the PhDs Taiwan has today, it's hard to imagine getting a packed house at a Saturday night lecture now. But in 1923, when the talks begin, the lecturers are paraded in like rock stars, 
The wary authorities make sure that police are never far away from the talks. That same year, the Culture Association starts sending out theater troops and even a silent movie corps to bring a new kind of culture to the masses. The world Jiang lived in was swirling with events and ideas, and as a man of letters, Jiang was certainly up to date on both. But Dr. Lin says that one influence on Jiang's thought stands out. That was fellow Culture Association founder Lin Xiantang. Lin had met with Chinese revolutionary Liang Qichao, and he walked away from the meeting with some ideas that he passes on to Jiang Weishui. One is that China is too weak and divided to help Taiwan face up to Japan. Another is the need for a Taiwanese parliament and a settlement like the one that's just won Ireland its independence. And the third is the need for the resistance movement to be non-violent. Most influence it come from Lin Xiantang. He go to Japan. He meet the Chinese peaceful revolutionary Liang Qichao, and Liang Qichao tell him, China is in chaos. You know we cannot help Taiwanese revolution. Yeah, you should help yourself and save your own fate. Establish the new parliament. Give up the force. Use the peaceful means to get the self independent. Jiang Weishui and Lin Xiantang were both men of action. By 1923, Liang Qichao's ideas of non-violent resistance and a Taiwanese parliament were already well in motion. Lin Xiantang had presented the Imperial Japanese Diet with the first petition for a Taiwanese parliament. It was the first of many petitions, all delivered peacefully. But being peaceful did not mean being subtle. We now turn from the cultural to the political side of Jiang Weishui's career. In 1923, the colonial authorities in Taiwan have rejected Jiang's latest request to set up an association promoting a Taiwanese parliament. It's January, and an undeterred Jiang is now on his way to Tokyo, where a third petition to the Diet is going to be presented. The Taiwanese community in Tokyo is out marching, and to drive their message home. They've brought in Taiwan's first pilot, Xie Wenda, to drop thousands and thousands of leaflets on Tokyo from a plane called the Taipei. In the end, the Taiwanese don't get their parliament, but Jiang Weishui's Parliament Association finally gets a green light. This is the year that Jiang's career will take a turn. Back in Taiwan, Jiang is about to pull off a stunt of his own, one that will land him in jail. It's the middle of April. Springtime, and Japan's crown prince, the future emperor Hirohito, is coming to inspect Taiwan. Jiang Weishui has a very special welcome prepared for him. The crown prince's route through Taipei takes him past the hospital that Jiang Weishui has founded. Out front, Jiang has hung up a welcome banner, sort of. The welcome is written in small print. While the name of the Association for a Taiwanese Parliament sits next to it in big characters, the font size is enough to convey to everyone that the welcome is a sarcastic one. To make sure that no one misses the banner, Jiang sets off welcoming firecrackers directly below as the Crown Prince passes by. It's a major embarrassment to the colonial government. Jiang spends the rest of the Crown Prince's visit in detention. In December the same year, the colonial government arrests Jiang again in a sweep on members of the Taiwan Parliament Association. Dr. Lin says that this arrest gave Jiang a break from his speaking and organizing. That break would turn out to be important. 
He arrested because uh, Taiwanese intellectual movement become strong and uh, strong. So Japanese government tried to prohibit them. Yeah, so they arrested uh, 50 or 60 people. Jiang Weisui, he punished about four months. He put in the jail two times, and he bring about more than 200 books. At first, he planned, after graduating from medical school, he went to Japan to enter the very famous universities to study political and economy. But after he put a jail, he read more than 200 books, he said, I already graduated university. Before he put in jail, when he gave the lecture, most of them about public health, about medical knowledge. But after he put in the jail, he can talk about culture, he can talk about political, he can talk about economy, sociology, almost everything. Jiang is arrested many more times during his life, especially when any member of the Japanese imperial family is in town. But this first arrest, in 1923, has changed his focus. In our next episode, we'll be hearing about Jiang's next move. It was to be a first in Taiwan's history, if only a symbolic one. We'll also hear Dr. Lin talk about Jiang Weishui's legacy, the way he's been portrayed under subsequent governments, and what kind of nationalist he was. I'm John Van Trieste, and I'll see you on our next Travel Through Time. So at the top of the show, we talked about how there are 28 Chinese military planes that flew nearby Taiwan just this past weekend. Do you think we should be afraid? A little bit. I mean, that's a lot of military, you know, incursions right near Taiwan, but we're kind of getting used to it. It's been happening for the past few months. Yeah. My friends and family ask me all the time, like, are you afraid? Are you afraid of the, you know, the hospital cluster infection? Are you afraid of the Chinese military planes? And I always say, of course, because I'm afraid of everything, but I think the authorities have it under control. Well, is China getting ready for real warfare or is it just psychological warfare? I spoke with Carrie Gershanik, a Taiwan fellow at National Zunzi University, the author of Political Warfare, Strategies for Combating China's Plan to Win Without Fighting. I asked him what China was trying to achieve through those warplanes this weekend. The PRC has always tested every new American president. And it was totally expected that uh, right away Xi Jinping would test both the resolve and the skill of the Biden administration. So sending those three large flights of uh, both PLA Air Force and PLA Navy aircraft uh, was designed to see what the response would be Mm. from the Biden administration. So the other audience, the second one is you. It's the people of Taiwan. It's the government of Taiwan. The, the purpose of PRC political warfare as it pertains to Taiwan is to demoralize and divide you, to make you quit, to make you just walk like sheep uh, into the, the cold embrace of the Chinese Communist Party and become a province of the People's Republic of China. You are going to be worn down. They want to demoralize you. They want you to think you cannot win. You cannot maintain your sovereignty. You cannot retain your freedom. And they do this in a number of ways, one of which is military intimidation, one of which is those three very large flights that they send uh, uh, for both combat training and, and for psychological warfare purposes against you. The third audience, it's internal. 
People's Republic of China. It's the mm-hmm. subjects. I won't call them citizens. You're, you're, you're a citizen in your country. I'm a citizen in mine. We're in democracies. The 1.3 billion people in the People's Republic of China, they're subjects, just like under any other monarchy. So the audience is also, for political warfare purposes, internal. It is to not just intimidate you, but it's to help enhance the stature of Xi Jinping to the people of China and to win him uh, continued support by the military, which has been pushing for the invasion of Taiwan. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.